And the identity that we're looking at is, is kind of a weird one. Uh, we're going to be talking about aliens, uh, which if those of you who are thinking of Star Wars or Martians or something, I'm sorry, not those kind of aliens. Uh, sorry to those of you who are big conspiracy theorists. Any ancient aliens watchers out there in the crowd? Got one. Probably need to go learn some things. Uh, not to roast people publicly, but to exactly do that. Uh, but no, we're not talking tonight about aliens uh, from other planets, uh, but we're talking about when the Bible uses the term alien, it really means a foreigner or someone who resides in a different country, uh, someone who does not enjoy citizen rights in that country. And a lot of times those people were very strange and very different and almost otherworldly to those people, um, which is something that I was actually thinking about recently. Uh, I was traveling to a different country and this country is known for having just extremely strict security protocols, like just very, very rigid. And my friend who I was going to visit, he was telling me like there are multiple times where he's been detained and questioned for hours. And they go through his stuff and they really, really grill him. And he's like, Nick, if you're not from this country, if you're an alien, if you're a foreigner here, they are going to grill you. And I'm just like, nah, like that, I'm sure that's not gonna happen. I mean, like me, I'm harmless, like I could not hurt a fly. And he's like, Nick, when you are leaving the country, you need to plan to get to the airport multiple hours early. Like they will not hesitate to make you late for your flight. And I was just like, dude, leaving the country? Like, they, of, of course they would be curious about me. Of course they'd be concerned when I'm going into the country, but who cares when they leave? So he told me, Nick, plan with a couple hours beforehand. I'm like, I don't need that. I plan my exit flight at 5.15 in the morning really early, and uh, as I'm there, I realize, oh, they really don't trust foreigners here, and uh, people are like really skeptical of you being there, and I'm just like, man, I, I do need to get to the airport four, four hours early, so I get to the airport at 1.15 in the morning. I have not slept that night, and I stroll into the airport. I roll up thinking, like, I'm an experienced traveler. This is, this is surely no big deal. I could not have been more wrong. Uh, I didn't know where to go. Very few things were in English. It was not like an American airport. And I was walking around. I waited in the wrong line for like 30 minutes. And I got to the front and they're like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, if you could point me in the right direction. And they're just like, Americans. I really did not honor my country with that one. Um, finally, I find my way to the security checkpoint and I hand her my American passport. And at this moment, I'm kind of like, yeah, no big deal, right? Like, I'm an American, and uh, which is really an issue. Uh, and she just looks at me, and she's not amused. She's not impressed. And she just proceeds to grill me with just intense questions about my time in the country. And now it's 2.30 in the morning, and I still haven't slept. And I'm stumbling over my words. Like, my words are all running together. I can't think of my answers. And this lady is just not impressed with me. She is like, you are clearly not from here. You don't know what you're doing. We don't trust you. And, and before I got to the airport, my friend goes, hey, when they give you your passport back at the first security checkpoint, they are going to put a sticker on the back of your passport. That sticker will have a number. The number is zero to six. Zero means you are not a security threat. Like you are a harmless person. Six means like detain this person right away. So she hands me my passport and I get a five. <laughs> a five out of six. I'm not even sure if I should be like annoyed or like flattered. I'm just like, wow, maybe I could be a security threat. I don't know. 
And I'm just like, what? But no citizens of this country are having an issue, right? They're just going in and out. No, like, no one is questioning them. No one's stopping them. But it's only me because I'm a stranger to them. I'm not known to this country. They have no idea what I'm doing there. I'm a foreigner. And it is so different. I make my flight, and, and, and I get back to the United States, and I walk in, and they just like, oh, welcome back, Mr. Swearington. And I'm like, oh, sweet, because I'm known to this country. And they know who I am because of all the information that they've gathered about us, which is an entirely different conversation that I did not mean to bring up just now. <laughs> but the question is, why do we bring this up? It's because your citizenship matters. Like where you are from, it matters. Because it determines how known you are in the different areas of the world. It determines the rights that you have. It determines how people treat you. It determines the language you speak and how you act your responsibilities, everything about you is shaped by the country that you call home. Everything in the world is, is shaped by our citizenship on earth. And in the same way, spiritually, we have a citizenship just like we do to political countries. And you can spiritually be a citizen of one or two of two places. One of two places. Either you are a citizen of heaven or you are a Christian or you are a citizen of the world. And those are the only two options. There's no green cards. There's no dual citizenship here. It's one or the other. And so if you're here in the room tonight and you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that your life is going to look differently. You need to know where you belong to. And you need to know, how do I look forward to this world that I belong to? And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. First of all, we love that you're here. Uh, we don't expect anyone who comes to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here and you're trying to figure out, do I want to follow Jesus or not? You need to know what am, is my life going to look like? What's going to change when my citizenship transfers from this world to the next? And you, know, you need to know what you're agreeing to before you undergo the naturalization process, so to speak. And so tonight we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, which is a letter written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, it's written to Jewish followers of Jesus who were scattered throughout the ancient world in the first century. And his theme of the letter, he's telling them to continue in, in walking with God even as they are suffering for their faith. And he's saying that as Christians, you don't fit in or belong to any of the countries that you're living in because they belong to heaven. And the Jewish people actually had a great understanding of this. They had been in exile multiple times throughout their history as a people. And Peter's drawing on that shared knowledge and that shared history of them feeling like, man, I really don't fit in here. Man, I don't belong in this country. I belong somewhere else. And he's gonna use that to illustrate a powerful point to them and to us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be an alien in the world, and what it means to be a citizen of heaven. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, I just, I pray tonight that we would have humble hearts towards your word. Uh, God, I pray that your spirit would teach us the things that we need to know. Uh, God, I pray that you would empower me to speak clearly as I should. God, to honor you with your word. And God, I just, I pray that if there's some of us in here who are wrestling with what it means to follow Christ, God, would you clarify that? And if there's people in here tonight who don't know what it means to follow you, God, would you clarify that for them? And God, more than anything, we just want to see your name be made, be, be made much of and that you would just receive glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So starting off in, in Peter two, or 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you, he's talking to Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, not a nation like a geopolitical nation, but a spiritual nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies 
of him, God, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the desires of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the non-Christians honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Starting off with the first thing you need to know tonight, your citizenship is a gift from God. Peter says right there in verse 9 that Christians are chosen and that we are a group of people that are holy. And that word holy, it means to be set apart, to be different, to be used for a different purpose. And so we are a people that have been set apart from a different purpose. And, and that purpose, it says it right there in verse uh, 9, if we can get that up on the screen. Uh, it says that we are to proclaim or celebrate God who called us out of darkness and into light. That is our purpose, is that we would celebrate the God who rescued us from darkness and brought us into his light, and we have that privilege because of God's mercy. If you're in the room tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, you are only a Christian because God has chosen to show you mercy. That is the only reason why we're here. It says that God's word says that we're called into his marvelous light, which means that to be in light, we once had to be in darkness. And if you were here with us last week, that's exactly what we talked about. This theme is all throughout the Bible, that at one point or another, every single person in this room, every single person in the world, we were at one time separated from God. Uh, Colossians 1, 3, uh, 13 says this, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we go from being under a kingdom of darkness and God transfers us to his son's kingdom where Jesus is king. And our citizenship changes. Romans 5.8 says it another way that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A couple sentences later after this, he says that we were God's enemies. And God, he takes us as enemies and as sinners and he says, I'm going to love you and die for you and transfer you into my kingdom. In Acts 26, the apostle Paul, he's sharing about why Jesus has called him to go and share the gospel with people. And he says, this is Paul's purpose that Jesus gave him, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Y'all, without darkness or without Jesus, we are living in darkness. And the Bible says we're slaves to Satan and sin and we're blinded and we're enemies of God. And a lot of times we might think like, I, I don't know, I don't really feel like an enemy of God. Like, I, I like God, I don't, I don't know that I would say that I'm an enemy. But the Bible is very clear that if any of us are sinners, which is every single person, that at one point or another, without Jesus, without God's mercy to us, we are enemies. And every single time we will choose ourselves over God. And we will choose to not follow God. And we will choose to disobey his word and disobey his plans for our lives if we're left to our own devices. And God's clear. He's saying that, that this citizenship, this gift that you get, this is a gift. And God is the one who gives it to you. And if you're asking why is this important, like why, why can't this be something that I do? Why can't this be a citizenship that I earn? I mean, people here on earth, like they, go, they undergo tests 
or they try to figure these things out so that they can change their citizenship. And the reason why it has to be a gift is because our purpose is to praise God. That's our entire purpose. Peter says that we, we are going to go and celebrate God and how great he is because he's called us. And if we're trying to celebrate God, then we need to be celebrating God for something. And if we're the people, if we earn our own citizenship, then the people we celebrate is ourselves. And we don't need to celebrate God because we think, I earned this. I'm the one who did this. I got my way into heaven. But God says, no, 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 no. You were made to glorify me because God is God and we are not. And so we look at that and we think, man, just out of thankfulness and just out of this gift that we've received of a new life, we celebrate God. And that overflows into our life. And so we praise and we give honor and all these different words that we say because God has given us a gift. In the same way that when someone gives you an amazing gift, you're just thankful. And you're just like, wow, I don't, I don't deserve this. I just want to express my gratitude. And that's the same with our citizenship to heaven. Uh, there's a really great picture of this in the uh, FIFA World Cup. It actually starts on Sunday. Uh, there's over 200 member countries that are trying to earn their spot to play in the FIFA tournament. Some of you guys are very excited. That you just found out that the tournament starts in like three days. I saw your faces. You know who you are. It's good. It's exciting. Sports are cool. Uh, this is the biggest soccer tournament in the world, right? And, and over 200 teams have been competing in these regional tournaments throughout different continents, and they're trying to win, and they're trying to prove their own skill or by their own wins that they deserve a spot to play in the FIFA World Cup. There are two, over 200 teams competing for this, and there are 32 spots. That's not very good odds. And so for 31 of those 32 teams, there's a lot of pressure that you have to work your way into this tournament. And you have to fight to get there. But there is one team that is chosen automatically for a spot. And it's the host team's country. And so this year, Qatar, who's not really known as being a standout team, like they're ranked 53rd, they're probably not going to make it. They get a free shot to play in the tournament because it's their country that was chosen to host the tournament. It's gonna happen in Qatar, so the Qatar national men's team gets to play. And it's not because they're great, it's not because of their own achievement or their own skill, they just get a spot because they are chosen. And, and can you guys imagine how grateful those players are? Like they get to play in the largest stage in the entire world. They get to experience that just because their country was chosen to host the World Cup. And this is exactly how God works. The FIFA illustration, it breaks down the more you look at it because FIFA is actually super corrupt and don't look into that. <laughs> but in the same way, God gets to choose us. And so we get a chance to be a part of his kingdom and his country, not because of our own wins, not because of our own merit, not because of our own skill, but because he loves us. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that God has chosen one specific nation to represent him and to be his people. And they're going to get to see him work miracles and get to bless all the other countries, and that's the nation of Israel. And so God has all the nations to choose from, right? Any nation that has ever existed, he chooses Israel. And so we kind of ask ourselves when we read this, if you're not familiar, like, okay, why did God choose Israel? Like, did he choose them because they're 
very powerful militarily, right? Surely they're some great conquering nation. Or maybe he chose them because they're really religious or like they're just a really moral people. Maybe he chose them because they had a lot of people and it was just very populous. Maybe they were chosen because they were wealthy or because they were creative as a country or really innovative. And we ask all these questions and then suddenly you read about the people of Israel and you realize that they're just really messed up. You're like, man, these people are kind of the worst. And on top of that, they're really not even that impressive. Like, they don't have their own big military wins. They don't have a lot of land. They don't have a lot of people. And so we ask ourselves the question, why on earth would God choose Israel? And he tells us in his word, this is God speaking to the people of Israel. This is why he chose them. God says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. Here's the reason. He says, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed or bought you back from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chooses the people of Israel not because of anything they've done, and in fact, in spite of a lot of the things that they're going to do to betray him, but he says he chooses them because he loves them. And he says he made a commitment to them, and he's going to honor that commitment. And as you see the Bible continue to unfold, you see this chosen nation, Jesus opens up that suddenly everyone gets to be a part of this if someone becomes a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. All it means is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you suddenly too get to be a part of God's chosen people. And again, it's not because of anything that you've done, but it's because God has chosen you and God loves you. And even when you were an enemy of God and you're living in slavery to sin, he says, I want you. And so if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you look at your life and you're like, man, I'm kind of ashamed of how I've been living. Y'all, God wants you. He's not looking for you to clean up your life. He's not looking for you to try to have it all together. God chose you because he loves you and you can trust him because he's the one who's faithful and it doesn't depend on you. And that's so freeing because suddenly you're set free from trying to be a people pleaser because you're not trying to earn your way to heaven by what other people think about you. And you're set free from insecurity because it doesn't matter what other people think. And you're set free from self-love because suddenly you have a God who loves you and, and you don't need to be responsible for loving yourself. And all of this comes from being a follower of Jesus. And what does that mean? What do we do as a result of that? We love and we worship God out of thankfulness and amazement to him because he loves us. And then that gratitude and that amazement and that daily just just awe of being like, why God, why did you choose me? I don't understand this. It begins to change your life. And that brings us to our next point. God's gift makes you an alien with new desires. And again, when we say alien, right, like we think of things that are very strange to us. Like that's what the word has kind of recently brought in the connotation of. And aliens are different. Like they don't speak the same way that we do. If you guys have seen the movie Arrival, it's a fantastic movie. You should see it. 
but like the whole movie is them trying to figure out the language of these aliens. And it's so different from the way that we speak here on earth. And, and aliens, they don't look the same, they don't act the same. Like they do things very differently and they just want different things. And again, while, while we're not talking about life from different planets, in biblical times, the word alien, it really did mean people that were not similar to you. Because if you think about it, like, they didn't really have access to travel or information the way that we do today. And so if someone was going to come from a different country, it was going to be very, very different. And you were going to show up in a different country, and you really had no idea what to expect. You probably didn't know the language. You probably didn't know how they dressed, how they ate, anything. And you would feel like a literal alien because you were coming from basically a different world. And so this is the context that Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, to abstain from the desires of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You know, what this means is that if you are a citizen of heaven and you are a follower of Jesus, your new life looks very different than your old life. And you look very different from the world around you. God is calling us in his word out of the gratitude that we have for being rescued we say no to desires that we once had that remain from our old lives as enemies of God. And, and since at one time we were enemies of God, and that means that we used to have these desires that went against God's will, and that's slowly going away as we start to follow Christ, those desires that we had from our old life are now waging war against our new life in Christ or our new citizenship in heaven or all of the other ways that God describes our relationship with him. And so to figure out then what does it mean for us to have new desires, we need to learn what, is, what, do, what do these desires even talk about. And, and these old desires, what it's talking about is these are just sinful things and, and people and goals that we used to want. These are the things that now we say no to because they're not good for us. And we realize, man, this is just not fitting for God's people and this isn't good for me. As an illustration, do you guys ever just want fast food? Right? Yeah, thank you. Like some Wendy's. I don't know if you've ever had a uh, triple bacon pub burger. They're fire. Uh, maybe you want some Rondons or McDonald's. Uh, maybe some T-Bell. I love Taco Bell. Baja Blast. It's phenomenal. Uh, let me take you on a little fast food journey with me, okay? So growing up, uh, my dad loved having food at home. He, he loved it. And conveniently, my mom loves to cook. And so you can see why they work well together. Uh, but that meant that growing up, we did not really eat out all that much. And especially if we were going to eat out, we were probably not going to eat fast food. Now, when I got a car and a, a part-time job in high school, suddenly I could go eat with my friends wherever I wanted to. Right? And that meant that I wanted fast food because that's what everyone was eating. And so I spent a lot of time eating fast food. And I did this throughout high school, and I did this throughout college, and into my career. But along the way, something began to happen. And it's probably not what you're thinking, right, when you eat a lot of fast food. Uh, but, but the thing that happened was actually, I just started to lose my appeal for it. And I started to not want it anymore. And, and I started with one memory that, that I can think of. I remember thinking, man, I think, I think I would rather have my mom's food than Taco Bell right now. And it was kind of like a weird realization because I love Taco Bell. 
And, and it wasn't that Taco Bell had started tasting bad necessarily. It still tasted good whenever I had it in the moment. And it, it really wasn't even that from eating fast food, outwardly, I was still in great shape. Like nothing had really changed. My metabolism was going strong. I didn't see any effects that fast food is bad for you, just so you know. I feel like I need to say that. I can't endorse this. But I wasn't seeing any of the effects, right? I could still run, I could still lift, didn't matter. But so what really triggered that? The thing was that I had just gotten back from being at home and my mom had cooked one of my favorite meals. And I began to see how good I had really had it when I was eating at home. And so then fast food began to pale in comparison to my mom's cooking. And slowly over time, it lost its appeal. And there are still times where I would crave it really badly, and it still happens today. But even today, so often, I don't want to eat out. And I would much rather eat at home. I would much rather eat a home-cooked meal because I realize that it's just better than eating fast food. And in the exact same way, our old and our new desires start to conflict within us. And as we start to experience that God is good, as we start to, start to taste his goodness, we taste and see that God is good, and suddenly the desires of the world, they just start to pale in comparison. And, and it's not necessarily that they go away. You still have cravings over time, but you start to realize, like, that's not good for me. I don't want that as much anymore. And it's, again, it's not that we lose the desires of the flesh. They don't necessarily go away. But we have to learn that we are getting new godly desires. But then the question is we have to be able to learn to differentiate out, is this a godly desire or is this a desire of the flesh? And desires of the flesh, they're bad. We talked about that. The question is, though, why are they bad? First of all, they're bad because they're sin. And the Bible is very, very clear. Sin leads to pain and it leads to heartache, and it leads to death. It will never satisfy. In the short term, it might taste good, but it will have long-term consequences. And the other reason why sin is bad, why these evil desires are bad, these desires of our flesh, is because they don't last. They're, they're not permanent. It's never fulfilling in the long term. The apostle John, he was a follower of Jesus, he wrote this, so do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Y'all, those desires of the world, the things that are a result of our sin, our old self, those things will go away. And they will not last and they will not make you happy. And it's tricky because we have these core desires that God has actually created in us to point us to himself. And then we have a choice to either choose to fulfill those core desires with the things of God or with the things of this world. And a lot of times we choose to fill ourselves with the things that are temporary rather than the things of God. Like I have a desire to eat and that is a good thing. I was created with that. But I can choose to fill myself with a healthy home-cooked meal, or I can choose to eat fast food that's not good for me. Some examples of this to, to really bring this to life and how can we decide between the desires of God or the desires of the flesh like it talks about. God created each and every single one of us with a desire for intimacy. 
Every single person in this room has a God-given desire for intimacy, and this is a good thing. Like, God, humans were, were made to need relationships. And first and foremost, that is with God. Your relationship with God is the thing that will meet that need above any other relationship. And secondly, with other people. And so we all have this desire for intimacy, and it's not a bad thing. However, a lot of times in our pursuit of intimacy, our sinful desires say, hey, sex outside of marriage, it's not that bad. It will meet your need for intimacy. And we begin to think, well, it's, it's fun. I don't know. Surely it can't be that bad. I have this need. My body wants this. And we crave that, that sexual experience or the deep emotional bonds that are reserved only for marriage. And that desire is bad because it doesn't last. And it's sin and it's outside of God's will for us. And it leads to heartache and it leads to pain and it leads to brokenness. And it doesn't last because there's no commitment. There's no bond of marriage that protects you and binds you together before God. And it passes away. And so you go from person to person or from screen to screen, and nothing really truly satisfies because it wasn't how God designed it. And the flip side, God created marriage to be this beautiful reflection of his love for us. And so as we pursue God, then we pursue a spouse in marriage, and it's something that's satisfying, and it's something that's good, and it brings life both to the people in the marriage and to other people, and it glorifies God because you honor God and how you do it. And so it's not God saying how the, that, that need for intimacy is not bad. He's saying you were just created with a specific way to fulfill that need. And that's through God's plan for marriage, of living a sexually pure life. And if we pursue anything outside for that, it's gonna be harmful, and it's not gonna last, and it's gonna lead to heartache, and it's gonna lead to pain. Another desire, we all have a desire for security, right? Like, we all wanna feel safe. It's not a bad thing. There's maybe some adrenaline junkies out here, you're like, I don't, I don't wanna feel safe. Free Solo is a crazy film, if you guys have ever seen it. That is called a film? That was a weird movie. Uh, security, it's not a bad thing. It's really not. But a lot of times our sinful desires, they'll say, hey, find security in how much money you make. How secure are you is dependent on your bank account or on your job and how stable your job is or your circumstances and a lot of times we fight for these things that sell us a false sense of security. But these things don't last. You can lose a job. The economy can take turns for the worse. You can lose money. And they don't last. And we try to fill ourselves with things that aren't God. But you know what does last and leads to, to eternal security? A relationship with God. And God is trying to say, hey, I have a bond that will last forever and it cannot be taken away and it lasts for eternity. And so you don't need to rely on money. You don't need to rely on your job. You don't need to rely on anything else to keep you secure because I will take care of you. And that is what God is telling us and he's saying just trust him. And he, he knows that these things aren't gonna last. He knows that he's the only thing that's constant, the only thing that's eternal. And so you have intimacy and you have security and there's purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment. And there's so many different things that God created us to have these desires for. And we can either choose to reward these with the desires of the flesh or the desires of God. 
And so often our hearts, they see the things that everyone else in the world wants. And they see the things that we used to want before we were followers of Christ. And we just feel torn inside. And it feels like there's this war going on, which is why Peter says, these are waging war against you. But as we've seen, we begin to realize these things just don't last. The things that God has said are outside of his will. He said it because they're temporary. They're not meant to make you happy. And so if the temporary won't satisfy, then we need to look to the eternal. C.S. Lewis, he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He's a follower of Jesus. He says it like this. If we discover a desire within us that nothing in this world can satisfy, also, also we should begin to wonder if perhaps we were created for another world. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus and you feel like you are constantly running after smoke and you've been trying to catch that sense of satisfaction and purpose and intimacy and security, can I just tell you, it will only be found in God. And some people figure that out when they're 25, and that's amazing. And some people don't figure it out until they're 75. And can I just say that waiting to figure out where you can find true fulfillment in life and where the true desires of your heart will be met, waiting until 75 will lead to a lot of heartbreak and pain and regret. And anyone who has lived their life on their own terms and not sought to find all these things in God, they will tell you that. And so I just encourage you, if that's you and you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, figure that out. You're in a good place. This is a, a very low pressure environment, environment and where you have people that want to help you discover what it means to follow Christ. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to know that you belong to a different world. You belong to that eternal world, which means that we can't look to the same things. And that means that you are an alien to the people around you. And so your desires are going to be alien and they're going to be strange to everyone else. And that means that we don't want what other people want. That means that I should want things very differently than the way that my friends who are not followers of Jesus want things. I should not want the things that they want. The phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, it's very, very bad advice here. When, when we're here on this earth, we don't look at what everyone else is getting and think, oh man, I want that. Oh, I wish I had that. Oh, I wish my relationship looked like that. Because we're selling ourselves short, and we weren't made for that. It, and it's just very strange to illustrate this. I, I lived in a country, this is weird, they put ketchup on pizza, right? It was, I heard some of you say, it's like gross. It is. It's weird. And it was very strange to me, and I did not want that. And it showed that I was not from this country, or from that country, and in the same way, when you look at it, when you look at your non-believing friends to satisfy how they satisfy their desires, it, will, it should not be something that looks good to us. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves then is if the desires of the world look good to us, why is that? And the first question you need to ask yourself, and this is a very serious question, is are you actually a follower of Jesus? If the things of God are not appealing to you at all, then there's a good chance that you've never experienced the new life that Jesus offers. Because that new life begins to make you want other things. And for those of you where you feel like there's a war going on within you, 
That's actually a good sign because if you're at war within yourself, it means that there's something to war against. And for the rest of us, if you're a follower of Christ and you feel like your desires aren't changing and you're like, I wanna want God, but I also want the things of the world still, here's what you do. You fix your eyes on where you truly belong. And that leads us to point number three. As aliens, we belong to a different world. As aliens, we belong to a different world. Y'all, if you're struggling to want the things of God, my guess is that because I've experienced this too, you're struggling to see how great God truly is. We saw, we talked about how our, these desires, they, they can't be fulfilled by temporary things, which means that we were created for eternity. And eternity means that from this point on, you will not cease to exist. And you will live forever, and after you die, you will belong to one of two places. Either you belong to the new earth, or what we call heaven, or you belong to hell. And y'all, hell is a very, very real and very terrible place. And it's the culmination of saying, I don't want God. I don't want God. I don't want God. And God, who is the source of all good, finally says, all right, fine. If you don't want me, I'm not gonna force myself on you. And you experience the consequence of that for all of eternity. And God, who brings good things into our lives, both to Christians and non-Christians, suddenly stops bringing good to the non-Christian and they experience no good or pain and suffering and death for the rest of forever. And it's, it's terrible and it's a fate that I would not wish on my worst enemy. It's a, a very, very hard place. And, and rather than focus on that tonight, I, I wanna paint for you a picture of, of the alternative. Hell is bad, but can I just, can I paint for you how amazing heaven is and how amazing the new earth is? Revelation 21.5, John, the apostle John, he gets to see into heaven, see what's going to come, and this is what he sees. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and, and heaven had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the residence of God is among human beings, and he will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. Y'all, can you imagine that? A world with no more tears. A world with no more sadness, and there's no pain. And there's no cancer, and there's no death, and there's no mental illnesses. And there's no sickness, and there's no loneliness, and there's no poverty, and no hunger. And there is nothing else that is bad for the rest of forever. And it gets even better because that world is described as a wedding feast. And there's going to be celebrations, and there's going to be joy, and good food, and laughter, and happiness. And it gets better because it describes it as having amazing buildings, and cities, and riches, and beauty. And it's this, this amazing paradise and there's a great chance that we'll have jobs that we will never get tired of. Jobs that will never, you'll never get home and think, man, that was such a long day. I don't want to go back. You'll get to work the way that God made it. It's a blessing and it's enjoyable and it's fun and it's not wearisome. 
and that's for the rest of forever. And as great as all of that is, there is something that is so much greater, and that's the centerpiece of everything, that you will get to see God face to face. And I promise you, that is going to be far greater than anything we could ever imagine here. And that gift, that access to being with God forever, and all of the blessings, and all of the sin and death and pain wiped away from the world, that lasts for eternity. And that is something that is so much better than the temporary. That is something that is so much better than going after the things that everyone else wants. And God says this earth seeks to, ceases to exist, which means if we go after things that belong to this earth, they are not going to last. To show an illustration of just how long eternity really is, uh, there's this rope and, and eternity has existed, uh, it's all time, it's outside of time. And so God, he's the only one who's eternal and has no beginning. And so you can see that this rope, it just, it keeps going. And eventually, if it gets out of sight, you can see that it, you can't see the, the beginning. And all of time has gone throughout human history, and it's led to, to this one point. And if you can see this little Sharpie mark, this is your life. The years that you get on earth, this is your life here. And it seems long now, and it seems like the days can get monotonous and long, but compared to eternity, look at this, look at this little spot right here, and then look at how long it goes. And eternity just keeps going. And it just keeps going. And there's no end. And suddenly that tiny little black dot, it pales in comparison. And if we live for the things of this earth, we're saying, hey, everything past that, I don't care about that. And we're saying, I don't want to live for something that's going to make me happy forever. I don't want to live for the things of God. And we have the choice to say, I can either choose to satisfy myself with the temporary and live for that tiny little black dot. Or I can choose to satisfy myself with the eternal, with God forever, and it keeps going. And this means that if you are a follower of Jesus, your life will look differently because you're not living for that tiny bit of time. You're living for the eternal, and that makes you an alien here on this earth because you belong to that earth. And then it changes the focus of our lives, and it transforms how we live. Back to 1 Peter 2. Peter says, as a result of this, keep your conduct among the non-Christians honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may say your, see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Y'all, the way that you live your life is going to be different. You're going to have a different work ethic than the world around you. And you're going to work as though you honor God like we talked about in the lifestyle series. And you'll have a different sexual ethic than the world around you. The way that you do relationships will be different. And it'll conform to God's standard. And you'll have a different entertainment standard. You'll have a different standard of how you love people and how you treat people. And everything else will be different. And Peter even says, he says, people will speak like you're doing evil. They're saying, hey, the way that you do relationships, that's messed up. That's narrow-minded. That's, that's not wise, that's evil. 
they'll look at the way that you treat other people and they'll say, man, that's evil. But then he says, one day, they'll see your good deeds and praise God. And there will be people who will become followers of Jesus and they will be celebrating with you for all of eternity and all of the glory and goodness of God that we talked about because you lived differently and because you were bold enough to share the gospel with them and to be an alien. And you weren't, you weren't uh, ashamed of living for God and you weren't concerned with having your life match up with everyone else around you and said, I'm just gonna be obedient to God's word. And I don't really care what it means I just want to know God. And people will see that, and as you share the gospel with them, their lives will undergo the same transformation that we've also experienced. And if you want to learn, how do I focus on that? Here's what you do. Here's a couple practicals for you. First, read God's word and memorize God's word. Find verses that talk about God's goodness. Write them down on a note card. Stick them on your mirror. Stick them in your car on your desk at work and constantly look at them and fill your mind with those things. And you'll begin to realize, man, God is so much better than anything else that this world has to offer. Second, when you're faced with a desire, ask yourself, am I following God or am I following the world? And let the consequences of those things play out in your mind. Look at what the consequence of following your sinful desires are. Maybe you've experienced them. Maybe you've seen people close to you experience them. Remind yourself of those things in the moment. And then look at what it's like to follow the things of God and remind yourself of those things in the moment. And so when you have a desire, sit there and think, okay, I have a choice now. Am I going to fulfill this desire with God or with the world? And point number three, learn to share the gospel and share it with others. There are so many people here in this room that I know would love to equip you and train you to share your faith. And and if you're going to do that, your life, it will begin to look differently. And it should continue to look differently because the message that you teach will be different than the message of the world. And it might seem scary, but it pales again in comparison. Think of just the, the potential conversation that could last 15 minutes at your office space could have implications for the rest of all time. And so it's worth suffering through a little bit of discomfort and getting outside of your comfort zone so someone else can get to experience the joy of eternity with God. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, God is extending the free gift of citizenship to you right now, tonight. And all you have to do is tell him that in your heart you want it and you're accepting whatever changes God wants to make in your life And and it'll mean you won't want what you used to want. It'll mean that you live differently. But I can promise you that knowing what God promises, it is well worth the choice. And if that's you, find someone, maybe who invited you. Find a a block leader who will be wearing the lanyard. Come talk to me. I'd love to explain to you what it means to become a follower of Jesus. If you're feeling that tug on your heart for eternity, don't wait and respond to that. We're going to have a time of of discussion questions. So turn to the people around you. We're going to take some time to discuss some of these things. Uh, So, yeah, turn with the people around you and uh, take some time to chat about this.